Good morning. Good to see you this morning. We are going to be in James 4, um, continuing our walk through the book of James. And actually, when we start reading here in just a minute, I'm going to back us up uh, to verse 13 in chapter 3, just because it flows really well together, and I think it's all the same uh, thought. And so as you're turning there in your Bible or scrolling on your app, um, if you want to go ahead and be in 313, that's where we'll pick up. We're still following this text method of studying the Bible together. And I wrote it all out today before we even got started, just so I wouldn't have to take extra time and give you more time to talk here in a minute if I'm not writing to start with. So we're going to start with the T of talking to God um, and, and not praying right now just as a religious exercise or religious ritual or just, hey, this is what we do every week at this time, but really as an expression of faith of God, what, what happens in this time, we don't want it to be just human, human intellect, human study, human words human results. We want this to be a time of spiritual power and spiritual work and spiritual fruit, and we know that God's the only one who can do that, that we're dependent on him to do something that we cannot do on our own. And so will you pray with me right now and ask him to do that? Father, we know that you are everywhere all the time. But we also know that you have chosen to reveal yourself and make yourself known in a special and unique way when your people come to you in prayer and seek you in your word. And so we do that right now. And we ask that during this time that you will teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. We confess our dependence on you, our need for you. I confess my dependence on you and my need for you. That anything, if anything of spiritual significance is going to happen during this time, you have to do it. You have to be the one opening our eyes spiritually to see you and know you. You have to be the one opening our ears spiritually to hear you you have to be the one softening our hearts so that we would believe what you say and we would love you and we would trust you and we would be changed by you. And so, Father, please do your work during this time by your grace and do it for your glory, for your name to be known and worshiped and loved the way that you should be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, our E in this method is encounter God in his word. And the emphasis there is that as we come to read the Bible right now, God is the focus. That we want to see truths about God, we want to hear from God, that this is about God. That we're not starting just with, hey, give me something to know this week, something for me to do, affect my behavior, tell me, tell me what I should know about me. This is about God. And so as I read, starting in James 3, 13 and through the end of, of chapter 4, I want you to be asking these two questions. What does God teach us about himself that first of all, the truths about God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who He is, what He does, how He works, how He interacts with His people, that these would be the primary and foundational truths that we would hear this morning, that if we know the truth about God, that forms the foundation on which we can build the rest of our lives. And if we get that right, if we get who God is right, everything else will flow out of that. If we miss that, if, if who God is should be the foundation, and we're over here somewhere building on this, it doesn't matter. What else do you get for the rest of your life? It's already in the wrong place. 
And so as I'm reading, really be listening for the Spirit to prompt in you out of this text. What are the truths that God's teaching us about himself? And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to share those, and I'll be writing them down. And then the second question, what's God teach us about us? As he reveals himself to us, he's going to speak to us and say, and so here's who you are in relation to me. Here's who you are without me. Here's who you are with me. And there'll also be truths in this text. And James is really packed with this second kind of truth about us and about our hearts and what we're like. Um, And so as I read, be listening to that. And then in a few minutes, after we put down some of those truths, we'll move on down to the X here of examine your heart. That these wouldn't just be truths on a list. These wouldn't just be sermon points for us to memorize, but that we would really encounter God in such a way that he's changing our hearts that he's working in us and living in us by his spirit as we trust him. And he's producing something in us deeper than just, hey, this is my religious behavior, or these are the things I practically do every day. But he's changing who we are so that what we do flows out of the new who that he's making us to be. So that's where we're headed. I'm going to read James, starting in chapter 3, verse 13, uh, mainly focusing on chapter 4 this week, though. And be listening. What's God teach us about himself? What's God teach us about us? And I'm going to ask you to talk first, so be ready. All right. James 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, 
You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. All right, I know there's a lot packed in there, and I'll give you a second to process, but what do you hear God teaching you this morning out of those verses? Truths about him, especially foundationally, and also truths about us. What's God teaching us about himself and about us? All right. Wisdom comes from God, not man. Already a perfect start for you graduates today. Don't have to plan that kind of stuff, do we? Two sources of wisdom, right? There's a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The wisdom from below is the way some translators yield it, and then the wisdom from above, and that this is true wisdom, that God is the source. This is saying the exact same thing, but God is the source of all true wisdom. There's going to be all sorts of sources in the world that, that promise to offer you a certain type of wisdom but true wisdom comes from God alone. What else? Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, let's just say that I think there's a real good chance that that is certainly the centerpiece of chapter four, but maybe the whole book of James. Um, and I always forget, I need to repeat this. What she said, if it didn't pick it up on the mic, because there's a lot in here about not boasting, you know, about humility, seeking, like looking to God for what we need and not just ourselves. Um, and this God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This contrast between, some type of contrast between pride and humility. Um, and so, you all can say as much as you want about it right now. I definitely have plans to circle back to that here in a little while and maybe share some thoughts with you that I feel like God's been showing me this week. But um, let's just start with exactly what it says there. God opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. And then I feel like circling back around here to in a sense, application then, um, our boasting, our boasting or our pride sets us in opposition to God. It's a really serious warning. If he opposes the proud and then we come in pride and we're boasting about ourselves, we are in opposition to God at that time. What else stands out to you? 
friendship with the world. The, the word that the ESV uses here was enmity, but is being enemies of God. That James is drawing a very clear line here of either your heart is going to be turned toward the world and you're going to love the world and you're going to seek in the world this type of friendship that is satisfying to you, that is what you want to get out of your relationships. Like you're going to believe the world will give you that or your heart's going to be turned toward God and you're going to find these things in God. And, and what's so hard here is he says, and it can't be both. Like as much as you want to think, yeah, I can love God and you know, love this, it is, you will either love God or you will love the world. Your heart will either be satisfied by God or your heart will be satisfied by the world. And choosing the world is saying, I reject God. What else? Good. Right there. That's the perfect example. And who said that? Hand up. Like, I wish I had like my starburst that I had that one week. I'd throw you one right now. When we're studying the Bible this way, we aren't to judge people. It's good. Like that's, that's a truth that we see here. But that last part, because God is the only judge, do you see that there's a truth about God that defines why we aren't supposed to judge? And if all you got is we aren't supposed to judge, you're missing the bigger thing that you've got to see. It's because of who God, it grows out of who God is. There is a judge. See, we aren't to judge. Like, and you hear that a lot, by the way, in the world, separate from any truth about God. And what it leads to is, hey, I can't judge anybody. You can't judge anybody. What's true for you may not be true for me. As long as everybody's sincere in what they believe, you believe what you believe, and I believe what I want to believe, and there is no absolute truth, and there are no standards for anybody. And, and every, I had a conversation with our girls on the way here this morning about relativity, and it's like that everything's relative. For, what's true for you may not be true for me because you can't judge me, and you can't tell me what's true, and I can't judge you, and I can't tell you what's true. And you're right that we aren't the judge, but that doesn't mean there's not a judge. You're right that we aren't the standard of truth, but that doesn't mean there isn't a standard of truth. And do you see that if you separate this one thing, this, this application for us of we aren't to judge from the truth of because God is the judge, you completely distort what this means. Like you create a world in which there is no truth and nobody can tell anybody any truth. And the truth is there is truth. And there's one judge who says, this is what the truth is. And these are, these are the standards for your life. And when we hear from him and we don't, we don't make up our own truth, we are repeating what he says. I'm not the judge. And this is what's so great about this. Like when I stand up here today, when you all say these truths, first of all, that you've said so far, you're not the authority here. And these aren't your truths. And you're not the judge and you're not the standard. These are things that God himself is saying. And we're saying, hey, I see that God says this. And when I say it out loud to you right now, it's not true because I say it. It's true because God says it. And you don't answer to me about this. You answer to him about this. And so, yeah, we don't judge, but the reason we don't judge is not because there is nothing to judge about and not because there is no truth by which we can judge, but because there's only one who does. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and praise God 
that the one lawgiver and judge is able to save and to destroy. If you are in wrong relationship with the one lawgiver and judge, he will condemn you. He will declare that you are condemned by your own sin. But if you are in right relationship with this one lawgiver and judge, he will save you. But we're not him. It's not our, there should always be a certain humility that comes. And this is back to the, instead of this pride of, I've got the right answers, I know the right answers, and I'm up here telling you what's right, and I judge you, and I condemn you for being wrong, or I approve of you for being right. It's not our place. I sit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the exact application that James gets. If God gives grace to the humble, here's what humility looks like. Submit to him. Submit to his truth. Submit to his judgment. Sit underneath him. Receive truth from him. And then when you speak to others, speak with a humility that says, I say this to you, not because of my authority, but because I submit to the one who has authority and he has said this. And so we're not going to waver on it. Like we're not going to say, believe whatever you want as long as you're sincere. There is a God who is the one lawgiver and judge and he has spoken truth and he has revealed truth and it is true and there's nowhere else for us to go. But I come to you as a fellow person who sits under him and I know desperately what it's like to have this truth and this law that he has revealed hang over my head and condemn me because I can't ever live up to it. And I know what it's like to stare at the things he said and see my own heart and know he's going to destroy me if I stay in this state. And then I know what it's like for him to say, but as the lawgiver and judge, I've made a way. I've made a way for the law to be satisfied even though you haven't satisfied it. I've made a way for your penalty to be paid even though you could never afford to pay it. I've also, this is God talking, I've established a law that says I accept a substitute in your place. I accept a sacrifice of atonement that appeases me, that pays the penalty, that takes away your guilt. And when you believe in him, I accept you in him. And so this one lawgiver and judge, he is able to save in Jesus. But he's also the one that's told us that is true. He's the one who's established that. That's not our teaching. That's not my thoughts. Those are the thoughts of God that he's revealed all throughout history. And to see, here's why we don't judge each other, because he does. And the standard will not be your thoughts or your opinions or your views. The standard will not be my thoughts or my opinions or my views. The standard will be what he has revealed. And especially what we have right here in his word, what he has said clearly to us that we should know him. And that's why we come and we say, God, help us see you. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear what you are saying because you are the standard. And if we come to your word and we spend the whole time hearing our own thoughts and developing our own thoughts and expressing our own opinions, we've missed everything that matters because look, you're not the lawgiver and the judge. Like, I really don't mean for this to be offensive, but it doesn't matter what you think. And it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what he knows, what he says, what he reveals. And what we need is for our thoughts to keep getting shaped and changed and molded so they match what he, there's gonna be differences. I promise you, 
every week when we come, there's gonna be differences in your life, in your heart, in your mind, the things you think and feel and act and do, all of it. There's gonna be difference between that and between what God says. What we do really often in religious circles is when those differences happen, we find a way to interpret the Bible so that it matches what we already think and do. So I'm the standard. I'm gonna say, here's what this means and here's why it fits with what I already do because I'm the standard. The question is, will you come in the type of humility and submission that says, no, you're the standard. And when, when there's a disconnect here, when something doesn't match, I'm the one that needs to change. Will you change me? If my thoughts don't match what your word says, my thoughts need to change. I don't need to change my interpretation of your word. My thoughts need to change. If my heart doesn't match what you say in your word, my heart needs to change. If my life doesn't match what you say in your word, my life needs to change. And I need you to do that in me. All that, have you written out the point yet, right? We shouldn't judge each other. And then the key that sent me on that whole rant, because God is the only judge. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this, this section this week, and, um, which is back down here. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law, and that is connected to, hey, there's only one lawgiver, and you're not him. And what I was thinking about is that the way James phrases it here is, you see, if you set yourself up as the one, I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to speak evil against you when I think that you're wrong, and I'm going to condemn you, what you're basically saying is the law that God gave, that's not enough to be the standard over you, to speak against you or speak for you, to judge you. I need to add to that. So here's my words. Here's my thoughts. And that's why James says you're speaking evil against the law and judging the law. What you're saying is God's law is insufficient to hold you accountable. God's law is insufficient to be the standard of behavior in your life. The things that God said, that's not quite enough. You need me too. <laughs> you need what I think in addition to what God thinks. And you're judging God's law as insufficient and you're elevating yourself as, hey, I've got what was meant. God didn't say quite enough to handle you. I'll come along and handle you. And do you see the level of pride and arrogance in that? The lack of humility, the lack of submission to God, the lack of trust that hey, if God addresses this, it needs to be addressed. And if God doesn't address, like if this is one of those gray neutral areas and it's just one of your, like your quirks or preferences, but the truth is it's not wrong, it's not sin, and you wanna set up your own legalistic rules and say you shouldn't do this because I don't like it when you do that. If God hasn't addressed it, it doesn't need to be addressed that way. He's the standard. He's given us plenty of stuff to deal with that we don't deal with, that we don't need you adding more to it, I promise. Do you see that in this section? That all this does tie back into, again, am I submitting to God? Am I surrendered to God? Am I willing to sit under his teaching, his law, his truth, what he has revealed, both for me and for others? Or do I set myself up as I'm the standard and you answer to me and here's what I've got to say to you. And it's in addition to what God said. So then the more that I thought about it, I, I did, I was just thinking about in our world and I'm kind of moving forward into the application for just a minute. That I think there's two different ways that we set ourselves up against God's law or that we judge God's law, that we make ourselves the standard. And one way is that when God says, 
something's okay. Like he, he doesn't forbid it. He doesn't say it's wrong. But I've got these little things in me that just for my own, like I said, my own quirks, my selfish reasons, and I want to come along and I want to add laws that God hasn't added. You know, and a lot of times we talk about this in terms of this being legalism, that I'm going to add things to God's law that he hasn't said. And, I, and these are going to be standards or measures of your holiness, of how good you are. And so he hasn't said it's wrong or right, but I say that. But then I think the other way, and this happens a lot in our world right now, is there are things that God has said clearly. Like, this is wrong, or this is sin. And we come along and we'll say, that's not that big of a deal. You may be in that culture, but not in the, we're enlightened now. We know more than they did. And we try to reduce it to, there were people who said this then, well, there are people who say something different now, and we're just going to weigh, which people do we think had a better idea? That's not the question. That culture wasn't the lawgiver and the judge, and this culture isn't the lawgiver and the judge. The question is, what has God himself said? And for us to come and say, yeah, he said this, but that was just for then, and, and now, you know, he said that was wrong. That's not wrong. He said that was sin. That's not sin. It's okay. As long as you're sincere, you can go do that. That's still us setting ourselves up as the standard above God and judging what he has said and substituting our own judgments for what he said. Do you see that there? And what's scary is James says all that reveals the type of pride in us that's in opposition to God. All right, what else? A couple more, and we'll move to examine your heart. Humility and submission before God are freeing. And there may be lots of, of thoughts that you have in mind when you say that, and there are probably lots of ways we could go with this, but one of them to me is, do you know how nice it is to no longer have the weight on your shoulders of having to be the one lawgiver and judge for the whole world? <laughs> You've been trying to fulfill a role your whole life that you don't have the strength or the ability or the wisdom to fulfill. <laughs> and you're off the hook. Everybody doesn't have to answer to you. You don't have to keep everybody in line. You don't have to hold everybody accountable. Isn't that a lovely thing? That God says, I'll take that burden. <laughs> I'll be the one who's in charge. I'll be the standard. I'll be the one everyone answers to. And you just come and submit to me and sit here and be at peace and in rest and right relationship with me. Underneath me, protected. With him as your refuge. There is a lot of freedom in not trying to be God anymore. Because you're not. And I'm not. And we wear ourselves out trying to be something that we could never, ever be. One more. Anything else? Yeah. If we know what we should do and don't do it, it's sin. And I think this, this is a great one to turn the corner on, by the way, to examine your heart, just because a lot of times when we set up the standards, we basically define sin by these things that I can see externally. You did this, and you said that, that and, and it's clear that that was wrong. 
and we limit it to observable behavior. And James right here goes to something a lot deeper, and he's like, hey, when you know, when the Spirit of God is prompting you to do something and you know you should do it, and you ignore the, the prompting of the Spirit in your heart, no one else in the world can see that prompting. And no one else even knows what you've been prompted to do. But for you to ignore that is sin. Like it's not just about your external behavior. God's after your heart and he's after your heart submitting to him in such a humble way that when he prompts you to do something and you know it's right, for you, you do it. Like he, he is, James is defining the standards of right and wrong, of righteousness and unrighteousness on a much deeper level than just did you behave in a way where people could see it was right or did you behave in a way where people could see it was wrong? They're not the standard and being able to see it with your eyes and just behavior itself is not the standard. Is your heart in right relationship with God where when he prompts you by your spirit, you obey because you're in submission to him? And listen, this definition, this is way, way harder. Like, I hope it starts to make you feel about your heart the way that I feel about my heart. Because I can try to put on a show for you and make myself look decent enough, polished enough that you think, yeah, he's pretty much doing what he should. And maybe I can trick some of you some of the time, and maybe you can trick me some of the time. But when you expose this and the level of rebellion that's still in there toward God, the level of pride that is in there, the self-centeredness. I'm not okay. And you're not okay. There, there better be more of an answer than just, oh, I can get this right or you can get this right. And we'll get to that answer here in just a minute. Examine your heart. What's God saying to you? How's he challenging you this morning? Convicting you, comforting you, encouraging you, pushing you forward. What's he saying to your heart? And maybe questions that we should ask ourselves. What do you hear? Hmm, okay. Resist the devil. And let's say like this is the this is the correct negative right here's sin i want to flee from it here's the devil i want to resist him what's the the counter positive that james offers right there submit yeah draw near yeah draw near slash run slash submit to god humble yourself before god this isn't just hey i'm going to summon up as much strength as i can run as hard as i can and get away from that and now I'm just out here in this vast desert of nothingness. No, I'm going to run to God. I'm going to flee to God. I'm going to humble myself before God and confess how much I need God. That if you don't come rescue me and this keeps knocking on the door, it's going to get me. I can't run fast enough, long enough. I need to come to you and I need you to scoop me up in your arms and I need you to rescue me. Yeah, this whole you know, weird section, like happy graduation day, that's what I was thinking when I read it. <laughs> be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he doing right there? You know, he's talked to already friendship with the world and then you double-minded. Like, he's saying, look, 
for so long, your heart has loved the world so much that you've rejoiced in all these things in the world and your pride, you think, hey, I've made it, I've accomplished some things in the world. I've got some status, some achievements. Look at, and in James 5, he's returned to wealth and money and, and just the, the, the things that I've obtained and attained in this world. And, and my heart has been happy with them. And he's saying, see them for what they are and grieve over the fact that you've loved things you shouldn't have loved and that you've given your heart to things you shouldn't have given your heart to and die to this world and then find real joy in God. Like stop loving the world and and hate the fact that you've loved the world instead of God, that you've been satisfied with your own sin in this world instead of wanting the things of God. And so, you know, right now you're you're double-minded, you're divided between the world and God. Stop being that way. Mourn over the fact that you've loved things you shouldn't have loved. When you look at that, see how empty it is. See how worthless, see that it really can't satisfy you, that it never is enough, that it just keeps demanding more and more and more of you. And the more that you believe in it and give yourself to it, it never ever gives what it promises. And turn to him, humble yourself before God, run to him, submit to him, draw near to him. What else is he saying to your heart? Going once, going twice. All right. A couple of things that I wanted to share with you as we get ready to wrap up this section and then worship together through song here in a few minutes. There was this one theme that I kept seeing, and we, already, we hit on pride and humility at the beginning, but I just kept seeing this theme of like what pride really is, the way that James defines it for us. And I know a lot of times we think of pride as, I think really highly of myself. Like I, I've done a good job and I'm proud of what I've done and I think I'm better than you and I think I live up to it. And, and that is a, a major aspect of pride. But biblically, at, at, its, at its core, I don't think that pride is quite as much how highly you think of yourself as it is how much you think of yourself and not much quantitatively like, I think of myself like I'm here and not here, but just I'm obsessed with me. I'm focused on me. The, the word we'd use a lot of times is self-centered. That everything revolves around me. I always think in terms of me. I think about how this is gonna affect me. And, and part of what happens here is you can have really high self-esteem. That's what we were talking about a minute ago. And that's really prideful. Because you're always thinking about yourself and you're thinking, I'm really good. But you can have really low self-esteem and still struggle with this same self-centered type pride because what you think is, I'm always thinking about myself. I'm just thinking about how bad I am. But you're still thinking about yourself. Like If all your thoughts are you, whether they're really good thoughts or really bad thoughts, you're still self-centered. If you're self-righteous or self-pitying, you're still self-centered. Right? When, when self is the center of your world, it's a type of pride that says, I'm at the center and not God. This thing's about me and not about him. I'm, def- I'm defined by what I think about me instead of I'm defined by who he is. Like, he's the definition. He's the center. 
Do you see the difference in those two ideas? And so as I was looking, I was seeing that everything James has said from three on has been, here's the danger. Your heart will seek all this stuff apart from God. So in chapter three, he was saying, the danger is that you're gonna seek wisdom apart from God. And I feel like this is a good way for us to think about pride. How much of your life are you living apart from God? Are you seeking wisdom apart from God and it's just worldly wisdom from below? Or do you seek wisdom from God? You know he is the source and you've got to go to him. And then we started here in chapter four this week. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so now you want to get stuff, but you don't want to ask God for it. You want to go get it, so you're trying to... So we said this from the end of 13, you seek wisdom apart from God. Now you try to get apart from God. I'm not asking him for it. I'm just trying to go get it. Then you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. So now you don't just try to get apart from God. You try to receive apart from God, specifically apart from his purposes. And the way, so yeah, I'm gonna ask you for this, God, but when you give it to me, it's gonna be for my purposes. It's gonna be for my reasons. I'm, still, I'm not listening to you. I'm not submitting to you. I'm not gonna, I, I don't want this for your reasons. I want it for my reasons. And now here, friendship with the world instead of friendship with God. And so now I, I try to find satisfaction in the world apart from God. And then down here, I try to judge apart from God. I set myself up as the lawgiver and judge instead of submitting to the fact that he is and that his judgments are the judgments for all of us. And then this last section, we could have spent a lot more time on this today, but right here, I try to plan apart from God. All right? This is what we typically do. Here's my plans. Here's what I think is going to happen. I don't know. Listen, if the past year has taught us anything, you don't know what's coming. Tomorrow and a week and a month. If anything, you ought to say right here. Sure, here's my plans, but with open hands. Here's my plans, but tentatively. Always in submission to him. And it's one of the reasons why last week as we were just talking through some of the, the transition as Michael and his family feel led to Oregon and, and me stepping in this role that I just wanted to say to you, like whether it's two weeks or two months or two years, whatever God intends. And I don't know, and you don't know. And what would it look like for all of us to sit here and say, God, here's our open hands. You show us, you lead us. And every time that you prompt us, we'll go, we'll do it. And if you leave us and you say, hey, just stay here for a while and we'll stay right here and wait. And if, if out of nowhere you switch directions, we'll follow you. And if, if you switch directions and we take two steps that way, instead of us saying, okay, we're gonna go this way for a while now, you switch directions again the next day, we'll follow you. Because you're the one who sees and you know it. I don't wanna plan apart from you. And listen, it is in all of us to activate our worldly wisdom and kick in. Okay, here's what we need to do. Here's the, here, here's the ideas for all this. And here's the direction we need to go. And here's the timetable for this. And da, 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 You don't know if you'll be here next week. You're a mist. You're a vapor. 
And we can pray and talk right now. And we can, I think this is where God's leading us. Let's head that direction. But we hold it like this right here. God, we're not planning apart from you. And we're not moving forward apart from you. And we're not gonna make things happen apart from you. Here's what we think you're saying now, right now. And we want to submit to you now, right now. And then if we need to be redirected, if you need to change, if you need to flip this whole thing around and send us back to where we came from, we wanna follow you in that. And so instead of us coming up with our whole worldly plan of here's the way it's gonna be and here's our vision of where we're headed and here's how we need to get there, God, you tell us. You tell us today and you tell us tomorrow and you tell us next week and you tell us next month. And anytime what you tell us doesn't line up with what we've planned, we're gonna ditch our plans. Every single time. See, we try to plan apart from God. All this, these are all expressions of pride that you would seek wisdom apart from God. You try to get apart from God. You try to receive apart from God for your own purposes. You try to find satisfaction apart from God. You judge apart from God. You plan apart from God. And then the last thing that I want you to see here why do you do this? Because your heart. is the biggest problem in your life. Most of us don't really believe that, but it's what God says to us this morning in James 4. The biggest problem in your life is this thing inside you that's at war with him. Your heart is filled with passions and desires that don't come from him. And, and most of us would look at all this and we would say, the problem is that I, I don't get what I want. Or the problem is that I don't get the answers that I need. The problem is that, I, that it's not clear to me where we're headed. If people would just explain the plan to me, then I, I'd be content. I'd be okay with that. If I could just get these things that I really need, then I'd be content. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You've got a rotten heart. And if God gave you everything you want, your rotten heart would spoil it. You've got a rotten heart. And if people gave you every answer you're asking for, and if you were the one making all the plans, your rotten heart would still spoil it. And listen, I know how hard it is to believe that because it's hard for me to believe that. I look at all, it's, it's my circumstances. You know how hard these people are? That's the problem, it's them. No, it's me. It's my heart. That's what he's saying. And so just a couple of illustrations this week with, with my girls. The first one's like on the positive. Sydney says something this week, and it's like she's already smarter than me right now, like this eight-year-old girl. I was going to go run. She wanted to run with me, and she has this pair of tennis shoes she used to wear. She tried to put them on, and she's like, oh, these are too small. And then she stopped for a second, and she looked at me, and she goes, no, they aren't. My feet are too big. I want you to think about that for just a minute. The shoes used to fit her. What changed? Her or the shoes? I mean, she, like, this is like eight-year-old profound wisdom from above right here. <laughs> Seriously. We all think I'm the standard. I'm the definition. If this shoe doesn't fit my foot, the shoe's the problem. 
because it should fit me. And she's like, no, that shoe hasn't changed. It was always this size. I changed. I grew. I'm the problem. I mean, I know it's funny, but do you realize how we define the whole world in terms of us? Right? After the pandemic, the numbers on that scale, they're not right. <laughs> that's, not, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, it is. I ate all that stuff. <laughs> so that's number one. Number two, when, when the girls fight with each other, we, we try really hard. And I say this so often that I know they get tired of me. So I'm like, you're being Adam and Eve right now. Like you, you ask Sydney what she did. Well, Emery did this. You know, Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the snake. And we ask Emery, well, Sydney did this. And so the other night, Sydney had this little, she found this little dog tag from one of my parents' dogs. And so she's looking at it. Emery wants it. They're already fight. They're quarreling and fighting because of the covetous desires in their heart, right? But when they get her to walk out of the room, I just see like real, just under the, just down here where you can break, Emery just goes and just hits her right in the stomach. I was like, hey. So they turned back around and I was like, Emery, what did you just do? You know what she said? How many of you, right? How many of you think she said, well, there was coveting and envy and awful sinful desires in my heart and she wouldn't give me what I wanted and so I sinned against her. Any of y'all's kids ever say that? I don't either. She said, she wouldn't give me that. And I said, I didn't ask you what she did. What did you do? It's no good for your heart to confess what she did. You need to confess what you did. And so she says, and this is just so good. Just be ready. This is what you do. She says, well, I hit her, but I didn't actually hit her very hard. So technically I didn't hit her. That's my six-year-old attorney right there. I didn't hit her. I just, but it's like, even when I'm going to confess to you, I'm not going to confess to you what I did. I'm not going to admit that I'm the problem, that there's sin in my heart that is really the problem. And so, you know, to sit them down and say, hey, Emery, the reason you hit her is because there's sin in your heart. Because you are so selfish that when she won't give you what you want, it makes you angry and you hit her, not because of what she did, but because you can't accept the fact that you're not getting what you want. And then, Sydney, the reason you wouldn't share with her is because there's sin in your heart because you're so selfish that you aren't willing to love your sister and give her something that she wants, that you'd rather have it for yourself than give it to her when you know she wants it. And so we prayed together for their hearts. Two hours later, we were dealing with the exact same thing. <laughs> and so we walked through it again and we prayed together for their hearts. And the next day we were doing the exact same thing and the selfishness in my heart made me really impatient with them and I got frustrated and I didn't walk through it nearly as well because there's a problem in me too. Really? And I have to come back and say, hey, I didn't handle that the right way. I'm sorry. I need Jesus too, just like you do. I need Jesus to help me love you the way that you need Jesus to help you love your sister. Because your heart's the biggest problem in your life. You want to know why you do all these things apart from God? Because in your heart, you want to be God. And the first step is to admit that's who I am and that's what's wrong with me. And God, I'm not right with you. And apart from you, I will be destroyed. And then here's the answer. I know we already talked about it, but I want to end here. Remember that the one 
who can judge you and destroy you and condemn you is able to save. Your heart's the biggest problem in your life. Jesus is the only answer in your life. You don't need all that other stuff to change unless your heart also changes. You don't need all those other people to change unless your heart also changes. And Jesus is the only one who can change your heart. But you've spent your whole life trying to live apart from him. He gave his life because he doesn't want to live apart from you. The only one who didn't need anything. He never needed to ask for something. He had it all within himself. He willingly laid it all down to come to people who had nothing to offer him. He gave up everything to give you everything in him. The only one ever who hasn't asked for selfish reasons the only one ever who hasn't said, give me for my purposes. He came and emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He poured himself out. And then he asked for us. What's he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they're living apart from you. They're rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But he asks for you anyway. Even then, he doesn't ask for himself. He's the answer. The only person to ever walk on this earth with a heart fully submitted to God, with a heart filled with love overflowing towards you, even when you were walking away from him, even when you were trying to live apart from him. And he says, I'll come and I'll die so that you don't have to live apart from me. See how much you need him. See how wretched your heart is and then don't go hide from it. Don't be afraid of it because he knows and he says, I've dealt with it. I'm willing to deal with it. Will you bring it to him and will you submit to him? That's the beautiful thing about submit to God. Submit's not a doing. <laughs> it's a stop doing. Stop doing on your own. Stop doing apart from him and come and surrender to him. Let him do for you. Let him do in you. Let him do what only he can do. And so I pray that you see Jesus for who he is this morning. Keith and the worship team are gonna come and lead us and worship through song here in just a few minutes. And, and I pray that you'll worship him for who he is your heart will be soft before him, that he will stir up faith inside of you. And so right now we're gonna pray for him to do that in us. We're gonna say, you are the only one who can do this. And we're not gonna try to do this apart from you. We, we submit to you, we depend on you, we need you. So pray with me. And then may God do this in us as we pray. Father, please work in our hearts right now by the power of your spirit and the power of your grace. We need you. We confess who we are apart from you, that we are selfish and self-centered and that we want for us and for our desires and for our purposes. And Father, we confess and we thank you that Jesus is not like that. 
that he had every right to demand everything for himself and yet he gave everything up. Thank you for Jesus and who he is and how different he is from us and the hope that we have in him because of that. And so in Jesus, come and redeem all these selfish, self-centered desires in our hearts. Turn them out, off of us, out toward you. Turn our hearts toward you. And then fill us with your love and turn our hearts toward others. That we would love them and that they would know Jesus through our love. Father, make us your people by your spirit and by your grace and build your church as only you can. We trust you for this. We know that you have to do it. And we trust you for this, knowing that you have promised to do it in Jesus. And so we thank you. And we ask right now in Jesus' name, amen.